Hello, I am Rob138. This is my partner in crime. Actually, I've already screwed it up, pal. So I thought I was going to nickname you like I used to do. So I'm not going to edit this in post. I'm just going to leave it in. But here is my man with the screaming brain, Papa Stank. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? How you doing, pal? Uh, doing all right. Working about four hours of sleep. I heard you're eating worse, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my camera's a little wonky now all of a sudden. Let me uh, fix that. I'm surprised it didn't fall over with how this is all going. So, yeah, episode two, episode two of season two. Pretty excited. Um, yep. We are going to do uh, one of your favorites. Uh, yes. Even got it right here in my arm. There you go. Pumpkinhead. Yep. Um, so something cool about this flick, and, you know, we're not, we're not going to jump right into the movie just yet, but uh, something that, that uh, my pal here could not believe is I've actually, up until sitting down to watch this for the podcast, never seen this movie all the way through. Yeah, that was actually very surprising. Yeah. So, um, now, it's one of those movies where I've always caught a little, like, fear fest or, you know, something like that, parts of it. And, like, you know enough about it. You're like, oh, I know the movie. I don't have to. I mean, I've owned it for, like, 14 years. I have it on DVD. I've just never watched it all the way through. And uh, now that I have, it's it's probably cracked my top ten favorite like creature features. I love oh, it so much. It's one of the best creatures in my opinion. Um, we'll get into all that in a little bit. I, you know me, I love Stan Winston. Yeah, I'm sure you've got a novel of notes. <laughs> um, with that said, a, a new uh, segment that we're throwing here on the Monster Cast is sharing is scaring. Yeah, it's super cheesy, super cheesy, but we're keeping it. We'll call it camp, not cheese. Ah, yes, yes. Yes. very campy it's very campy yeah. um that was very uh, killer clowns we're already into meta um where <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to kind of share you know what we've maybe we've watched this week you know anything in the the sphere of horror or geek culture that's got us uh really really excited now i i know we both watched the batman this week yes definitely it was very good yeah awesome flick um very awesome so i'm, I'm disappointed about one aspect but i also really enjoyed another aspect of it and there we are uh, for you listeners. Uh, Papa Stink now looks like the, um, I forget the kid's name, the main kid from Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Nice. And, the, and my profile picture. Ah, and his profile picture. I couldn't find, I couldn't find these last time. He looks like the, the, the kid that you play uh, in Zombie Ate My Neighbors all grown up. <laughs> Just put on some 3D glasses. But unfortunately, you cannot read in these things. So. <laughs> or see, I imagine. Mostly, especially with this uh, ring light in my eyes, though. <laughs> I'm official. I have a setup now. Yeah, yeah, you got a setup, guys. You'll see this on YouTube eventually, but uh, yeah, you got a setup. He's, he's looking, yeah. uh, I got to up my game, this guy. Uh, <laughs> but the Batman, the Batman. Yes, back to the Batman. Back so the Batman. I really, really enjoyed that we finally have a Batman where he exists in the world already. Now, we had that with Ben Affleck, and you know I love Ben Affleck's Batman, but we didn't have a Batman movie with Ben Affleck, so... This was really supposed to be that until all the drama and Warner Brothers happened. And anyway, we have a world where Batman already exists and he's a detective and he's going all to crime scenes and like cops don't really question it. It's like they know who he is and he's they're right. just like, well, you can't come in here. And Gordon's like, he's with me. Yeah. And like, that is awesome. As a fan of Batman the animated series, which I still swear to this day is the best interpretation of Batman committed to film. Like that appeased me a lot. Yeah, I was I was very happy with the, the detective work. That was the big thing for me was seeing him at a crime scene, seeing him explore, pick up clues, and actually come to conclusions, and not just yeah. You know, everybody 
the one thing you said you didn't hear this. I heard a lot of hate when it came to the new movie, which I truly didn't understand after watching it. Uh, the thing that got me though was they're like, he's the Terminator Batman. He's not stealthy. He doesn't, he walks loudly. Well, he's also in his second year of being Batman. He's still learning. And at this point, what, what would anybody do? You would just go in head first until right. you learn. And that's the whole thing with this movie was him going from vengeance to justice, basically. Well, I thought part of the, uh, especially the, the heavy walking that was just done for dramatic effect coming out of, of course, just and them not knowing where he's coming from. Right. Um, now, the one thing that I don't like about it, I'm tired of these comic book movies that are set in this real world where it could happen because, God damn it, Batman has the coolest rogues gallery in comics. And if we're in another real world based Gotham, I can't get Mr. Freeze. I can't get Clayface. I can't get Poison Ivy. All of those awesome characters that have some of the best backstories can't get them because they're not realistic. I mean, I like what they did with the Riddler, changing him more into the um, uh, Zodiac killer kind of yeah. character. But um, I just want a fucking comic book Batman movie, man. God damn it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when he shot himself with what I'm assuming is adrenaline, there was rumor that it might have been an early version of Venom. But with Bane not being introduced, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just adrenaline. But yeah, well, it was the green aspect. And that's what a lot of people were saying. Seeing him shoot himself with the adrenaline to give him that boost, it's like, well, you know, you you got into a little bit of a comic book point there. You know, he went from borderline passing out coma, comatose to being able to play the rest of the, or fight the rest of the movie to the end and be like, oh, okay. But just knowing what Matt Reeves has said about his world for the Batman. Mm. Um, but yeah, also Gotham is another is a character in the movie. Again, I'm glad that it looks like Gotham and not Chicago, like the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh yeah, it was it was a gorgeously shot movie. It was the color work, the everything just. Mm. So beyond that, uh, what else? I mean, I've had a lot of time on my hands, and I've had very little. Yeah, I, the reason I've had I haven't really brought this up on our any of our social media. I mentioned on my personal social media, but uh, I'm actually having neck surgery in a couple of days at the time of this recording. Um, when this goes up, I will have already had it, but we're recording this early so we can have it up on schedule. But yeah, so with that, I've been actually been out of work for a little while. So I've had a lot of time to lay on the couch and watch movies. So I've been watching, uh, I mean, I've been running the gamut, man. Um, a lot of J-Har, a lot of uh, the Millennium Era, God Toho, Godzilla movies. A lot of faux par, a lot of splatter flicks. I just watched Fried Berry, finally. That is, what did I tell you it was? It was uh, like watching Under the Skin through the lens of a garbage can. Right. Yeah, it was it was awesome it was insane but it was, it was very awesome um so yeah that's, that's what i've been doing just been watching okay. a lot of movies i don't have as much time so i have to like cram stuff in um for shits and giggles i was watching hostel three uh while cooking dinner multiple nights in a row so the uh, cooking is one of my pastimes kind of grounds me keeps me sane cooking is fun i love the cook. oh yeah so i end up uh putting the movie on or putting music on for that half hour 45 minutes and uh, I remember hating Hostel 3 when it came out. I don't remember it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a great movie. It's not. But looking at it again, it was actually a lot of fun. It was uh, funny, had some decent moments, some really good gore and kills in it. So, yeah, I'd say give it a second chance. I remember the first one really well. Um, I mean, who doesn't? I love the first one. That's when the, the, the splat pack was a thing. Right. With, you know, the Eli Roths and the uh, Adam Greens and whatnot of the world, Rob mm -hmm. Zombies. 
Yeah, I have the trilogy around here on Blu-ray somewhere. I, I picked it up as like 10 bucks. I remember the right. first one. I vaguely recall the second one. I don't think I saw the third one, even though I it's over here. So again, go into it with an open mind and just enjoy it for what it is. It's not a good movie, but it is a fun movie. Uh, then the only other thing I really had time to watch was we watched the Gacy documentary that just came out on Netflix. Oh, did you finish it? We finished it last night. I have not finished it yet. I've really gotten Megan into true crime, specifically like serial killers and whatnot. And uh, we watched the Gacy documentary that was on, it wasn't Paramount Plus, Peacock. And that's what ended up getting us uh, downloading and actually signing up for Peacock was the Gacy documentary they had. It was phenomenal. Things I didn't know about, stuff that, you know, recordings we didn't know about, just all this new stuff, conspiracy theories. It was a lot of fun for something very serious. Whereas this one, they just, it was three episodes of demonizing Gacy, not looking at him as a human being, because in the end, he still was. Was he a liar? Was he not a liar? You know, did he really kill all the people? Did he not? He still went to his grave, like a 50-50. One day he'd say he did, one day he'd say, one day he said he didn't, you know, and it was very sensationalized by the end. All the prosecutors and the police officers involved, I felt like they were getting their jollies by being interviewed now. Like, you know, he's gone. He can't speak for himself. The same people that were interviewed in the Netflix series were interviewed in the Peacock series. And I just, the tone was just so different. And, mm. you know, the, the Bundy files, excellent. The Night Stalker one was decent. This one just... I did I did watch the Night Stalker one recently and finished that one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't sympathize with the serial killer at all. I think they're garbage human beings. Um, but it's funny because, I, you know, I, I'm very interested in true crime myself. And I actually just had this uh, a little bit of a chat with some friends uh, where that came up. Because um, we know I'm very famous for wearing my Charles Manson, what would Charlie do shirt on stage right. back when we used to play. But I, I was asked, you know, why do you like, you know, why are you into like serial killers? Why do you like them? I'm like, well, look, I don't like serial killers. It's why when I was in school, um, I majored in uh, psychology. I wanted to figure out what makes people tick and what makes them do that kind of stuff. And the line that I draw is I can appreciate the true crime and the learning aspect and trying to figure out what makes a human do that. What I don't like is when Hollywood tries to make them a horror movie villain. Because you remember the early 2000s, there was that series of films, Gacy, Ed right. Gein, uh, Kane Hodder played, uh, yeah, he played Ed Gein. Yes. And uh, there was the Ted Bundy movie. It was like the series of like direct-to-video serial right. movies where it tried to make them all horror movie villains. I'm like, that's, that's in such poor taste. Yeah, they were still human beings, and there was something that made them tick. And what you were saying you went to school for, that's what's always interested me was the psychology behind it. You know, um, both of us growing up with some traumatic things in our youth, you know, and we both turned out mostly fine. You know, what what changes, what snaps in somebody, what makes them snap, and, you know, what makes them enjoy, or that's the stuff that I, I enjoy about it. Do I enjoy it? or injured or hurt or killed no but you know it's it's the psychology and i think that's why i like the bundy one so much is because bundy is very intriguing he was a very intriguing human being um definitely thought himself to be much more intelligent than he was however he was quite savvy and intelligent See, i think you know when i say some poor taste i mean more sort of the victims and the families of the victims of course, like, of course. why would you create a movie why would anybody want to relive that part of their life? You know what I mean? But we, I mean, we could literally make a whole episode on this. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, back to the task at hand. Afraid raising the dead ain't within my power. 
be all right? Should I be afraid? It's coming! <laughs> Looking for an old woman. She lives somewhere in the mountains hereabouts. All she can do is take you straight to hell. You go home and you bury your boy. Some folks will say is how she's got powers. Who are you? Ed Harley. What do you want, Ed Harley? Say it. You're looking for vengeance. Vengeance. Say it. There's no graveyard way back deep in them woods. The thing you're looking for is in there. It was an accident. Keep away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiving. Laugh at him and you're undone, but in some dreadful fashion. Vengeance he considers fun and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot a plot that he has brewing. It's when you think that he's forgot he'll conjure your undoing. Bolted doors and windows barred. Guard dogs prowling in the yard. Won't protect you in your bed. Nothing will from Pumpkinhead. That is the poem written by Mr. Ed Justin that the film, that inspired the film. You can't even say it was based on the film, but it inspired the right. film. And that is, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of folk horror. And mm-hmm. I would say this is, and having now sat down and watched the entire thing, is one of the better um, folk horror stories oh, committed to, uh, to cinema. And for anybody that doesn't really know what folk horror is, it's, it's a subgenre. It's, it has a lot to do with folklore that you know unseen fears that's usually in a rural setting a lot of things when it comes to isolation nature right darkness rituals witchcraft it's like that kind of movie I, there was a big uh, i think there was a, a big resurgence of those movies with you know things like the witch and midsummer right. and you could even uh argue that um it comes at night is you know also in that genre right uh, I'm a huge fan of folk horror. I, I dig all that stuff. And so and the fact that I've finally seen this movie all the way through now sickens me. I have to apologize to you yeah. and to the listeners at home for being poser. Oh, <laughs> man, don't go that far. So, but if you don't, if you don't know this one, then, cause I know you're a fan of the band, then I call you a poser. Uh, so the misfits actually had a song entitled pumpkin head off of famous monsters released in 1999 based on the film. Yeah. So I was probably going to use that to close the podcast. Then cut it out and edit it. Post. No, we're leaving it there, bud. We're leaving it there. I don't do, you know, I don't do posts. You, you see how the you. audio and the video sounded exactly the same. But uh, so with staying on the music end of things, so there was a song called Vengeance the Demon, Close the Door, Out Crowd by horror funk, uh, horror folk punk band Harley Poe. Didn't know if you knew that one, though. I've actually never heard of them, but now I'll have to check them out. Yeah, I, I thought you'd get a kick out of that because I know that's, that's right up your alley, genre-wise. Nice. There's also an underground hip-hop artist that calls himself Pumpkinhead. I did not know about that one. Oh. We, we don't listen to hip-hop, but I mean, in general. It's not hip-hop, it's electro. Uh, you're right. <laughs> I've gone and totally redeemed myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, Pumpkinhead was uh, directed by Stan Winston. 
This was his directorial debut. Initially, it was said to be directed by Armand Mastroianni, if I said that right. If I didn't, sorry. He is a prominent horror director, but here's a nice little tidbit on that. The reason that Dan Wilson ended up being the director was his company was optioned to make the Pumpkinhead character. When he read the script, he had been wanting to direct for a while. And what was really cool was he just basically went to the studio and said, I'll only do the creature effects if I can direct this film. So I guess he put a, a gnome named Norm on the back burner so he could do Pumpkinhead? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think I was going to dig that one out so soon, did you? So we're going we're gonna to have a lot to talk about with regards to Stan Winston. But let's, let's touch base real quick on the, uh, the marketing and the original titles here. Now, I've got down here that, you know, the original title was Vengeance of the Demon. Yes. And before we started, you told me that you've got like a thousand different titles. And I had to stop you because I'm like, I want to naturally react to these from the different uh, parts of the world. So lay them on me. Rapid fire. Here we go. Vengeance of Demon uh, was the original title by De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, who went bankrupt and was taken over by United Artists, which renamed the film. So they renamed it for their release. Um, the funny part is, is there is a, uh, a trading card back called Fright Flicks from the 80s. I don't know if you remember them or not. Yeah. And the pumpkin head card actually has the original title on the back. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was when it was like, damn, I got to find that card now. Um, I'm just going to rapid fire these off. So I have 12 countries with 12 different titles. So you got Brazil, the devil's revenge. Finland, the devil of revenge. France, my personal favorite, the Halloween demon. Let's, let's hold on that one real quick. Um, <laughs> I think it's a cool title. Because even though this is not a Halloween movie, there is a lot of classic Halloween imagery in this between oh, yeah. the pumpkins, the witch, the swamp, the really creepy graveyard. Like, mm-hmm. this is a Halloween movie, man. So, oh, yeah. It's, well, it's not, well, not the coolest title. It's definitely the most on the nose title. I know. Well, Germany's was even less uh, original, which is the Halloween monster. Yeah. Greece demonized Avengers. As I so said it's before, like, assemble. Or it's, well, heard. it's more like a satanic toxic, right? Right. That's what we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Mexico was the devilish revenge. Spain was blood pact, which does actually make sense. Uh, Sweden, the devil's avenger. Ukraine, hell's revenge. Uruguay, demon pact. Canada, pumpkinhead, the Halloween demon. Hungary, pumpkinhead, the demon of revenge. And Norway, demon's revenge. So very similar in those aspects. But nobody called it gourd cranium. That would be actually pretty good. <laughs> mm. I'm here all week, everybody. Try the veal. So, Stan Winston. I know this is a hero of yours. Um, oh, yeah. Also, I mean, he made all the monsters of my childhood. I, I love the guy. Oh, of course. You, however, would not exist in the form that you currently exist if Stan Winston was not a person on this planet. Oh, so here's a 11 or no, 10-year-old Mark watching Jurassic Park for the first time, being blown away by these animatronic dinosaurs. Grew up a huge dinosaur kid. Loved him. Still love him to this day. We go to museums to see him. It's more for me than it is for my kids. <laughs> if I can just jump in real quick. I think a lot of that comes from, because I was the same way. I was a dinosaur kid too. I had the, like the, the dollar store rubber dinosaurs, you know? Mm-hmm. We, I'd take them to the beach. My parents used to take us to the beach and play with them. And I think a lot of that comes from us being like Goji fans. Oh, yeah. Like Kaiju fans mm-hmm. when we were kids, because we loved Godzilla. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Kong and, and shit. So. Oh, yeah. My mother grew me up on Godzilla and Kong, Son of Kong, Buddy Joe Young. I mean, because my first experience with, you know, dinosaurs on the, on the big screen was the, and, you know, talking about the you know, legendary effects, man, um, Ray Harryhausen with, you know, his stop motion. And then, right. you know, the, uh, the Kong, the original King Kong where he's fighting the T-Rex is like, then you're mm-hmm. like, oh shit, dinosaurs rule. So anyway, I digress. Oh, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, so that was probably my first real big interest in special effects. Now, I never got into doing animatronics. That was kind of out of my realm. But uh, I just remember my mother getting me magazines and books on the Jurassic Park movie about how this was done. And uh, Stan Winston Studios with Industrial Light and Magic with the CGI at the time. Like, it just was super inspiring for me. But, you know, he's he's known for everything. He, Terminator series, Jurassic Park, Aliens, The Thing, Predator, Inspector Gadget, Iron Man, and Edward Scissorhands, just to name a few, and Monster Squad. Oh, yeah. So the creme de la creme of monster flicks. When you sit here and go, man, all the stuff that I grew up with, no wonder I'm the way I am. But <laughs> a lot of it has to do with Stan Winston, Dick Smith, Tom Savini, Rick Baker. You know, the list goes on and on. Uh, Greg Nicotero, because KMB effects were still doing stuff back in the 80s before they became like super famous later in the 90s. Right. You know, uh, just all that stuff is just so inspiring for me. But uh, what was really cool was I just... I didn't actually get into doing the stuff until just right out of high school, like right late high school, out of high school when I met Doug Ulrich. Uh, but um, Sam Wilson was born in 1946 in Arlington County, Virginia, so not that far from here. Uh, he studied painting and sculpture at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville and graduated from there in 1968. Uh, 1969, he actually attended California State University in Long Beach, where then he moved to Hollywood to pursue a career as an actor. Well, he had trouble finding acting jobs, so he started an apprenticeship with Walt Disney Studios for makeup. Oh, wow. That one, again, that one was really cool because uh, you're familiar with wed clay, right? Yeah. Wed clay, uh, we use it. It's a water-based clay for sculpting. Uh, is actually wed is W-E-D. It's not wet clay like some people think. Right. Uh, for Walt Disney. It's Walt Disney's initials. Oh. Yeah. I can't remember if his middle name was Edward or Elmer. It was like Walt Edward Disney or Walt Elmer Disney. But I think it's pretty cool about his apprenticeship at, you know, Walt Disney is that Walt Disney was primarily known for its animation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bringing on him for an apprenticeship for special effects is pretty cool. So, oh, yeah. so that's not what they're known for. As a throwback to the last pod, talking about all these famous people that cut their start in odd places, you know, yeah, like children you think shows. a guy, exactly. You think a guy who's known for horror and big monsters is kind of starting Disney. That's really cool. Yeah. In 1972, he actually started Stan Winston Studios. And in 73, he already won his first Emmy for the t uh, television film Gargoyles. So, I mean, he... That came out... Gargoyles was a, in the 70s, right? 72, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I, like, I vaguely recall that. I feel right. like I've seen it as a rerun of something somewhere. Um, and I remember the effects being pretty top-notch for what it was at the time. Oh, yeah. So now you fast forward 10 years. In 82, that's when he did the thing. And he uh, actually brought him to prominence in Hollywood. Uh, he supervised makeup on the entity. Um, Friday the 13th, part three, he was a supervisor. Um, he also did a separate head sculpt for Jason that was unused because they didn't use the ending he did. You know, I'm, I'm skipping a lot of movies too because this dude's IMDb is just... <laughs> Not the last Friday the 13th reference for this podcast. It's fair. Oh, no, I, yeah, because I, I got a feeling I know what you're yep. <laughs> Jarvis! <laughs> He also did the uh, Mr. Roboto face mask for uh, American rock group Sticks in 1983. Yep. Uh, 84 was when he did Terminator. I mean, it's just this dude's career just kept getting bigger and bigger. Like, oh, man. Um, he collaborated with Cameron quite a bit, actually. Uh, the next one was Aliens. He also did Monster Squad, as we said. Uh, so fast forward 1988 was when he directed and his team did all the makeup for Pumpkinhead. Well, hold on. We glossed over something rather important. Which is one of the greatest creatures in cinema history in 87, the Predator. I thought I said that. No, no, you jumped right to 88. 
Well, I apologize. And uh, I mean, I the Predator is one of my favorite creature designs. Like, oh yeah, I I love the Predator so much. Um, it's unfortunate that it's never gotten a really great sequel ever. Um, Predator Two is well, it's it's good because of all the things that came after it. Beyond that, it's not great. I mean, it's it's all right. It's all right. That being said, plenty to say on that, but that's another story. Um, yeah, that's another. That's another. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I, I saw a pretty cool uh, story about Stan and Arnie on the set of Predator. Um, so apparently, one day Stan Winston went back to his hotel room and found a shower full of frogs. Um, he thought that Arnold, who was a known prankster, was pulling a prank on him. So he got his team of effects guys that caught all the frogs in pillowcases. And they throw him in Arnold's bed. So the next day, neither Stan Winston or Schwarzenegger dared to bring the topic up, like at all. They didn't even talk about it. Couple, like not even a couple, like many years later, Stan Winston was on a talk show. And he talked about the story, knowing that Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be a guest on the same show the next day. The next day, Arnold comes on and swore to God that he had nothing to do with the prank at all. And then they found out that Winston's crew members were the ones that did the prank, knowing that he would blame Arnie and just let it be that way for all of those years. That's funny. <laughs> a little thing, too, is uh, with Pumpkinhead. Uh, one of the things that I found out was that uh, Winston, as from a director standpoint, as well as a makeup standpoint, he liked to keep things very lax and very relaxed, even when serious stuff was on film. And uh, he was apparently a known prankster with his crew to keep them happy, like, from little things like cocking his glasses to the side, making stupid faces while they were working just to say, Hey, don't take it too seriously. Like he just seemed like a very average all around good guy. And uh, without him, we would never know if Wolfman had Nards or not. Very good. <laughs> very good. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, you know, Stan Winston, the man that I really appreciate that, you know, I'm kind of trying to do the same in my life. It's just keep it all light, man. Try to have mm -hmm. fun with everything you do. Don't take everything so goddamn seriously. Right. So uh, he actually got, uh, he actually won the best first time director in the Paris Film Festival for Pumpkinhead. And then fast forward to 91, which was Terminator 2. And he won two more Academy Awards for best makeup and best visual effects. I mean, Terminator 2 was groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. And the effects still hold up today in 2022. Oh, of course. I mean, CG, it might not be as, but it still looks good. I don't care who you are. Yeah. But look at, look at the Jurassic Park CG. Most of that looks better than the stuff today, too. Yeah. Uh, but in the same year, he was nominated for Tim Burton's uh, Batman Returns for Danny Beauty's Penguin makeup, but he did not win, unfortunately. And his studio, not necessarily him, but his studio did all the uh, animatronic penguins. But we're just going to just name off a bunch of stuff real quick. Sure. We all know that this dude was the man. <laughs> yeah. But you went to Jurassic Park, Ghost in the Darkness. He even did a T2, the 3D battle across time for Universal Studios, uh, the ride. Um, Spielberg's uh, AI artificial intelligent. He uh, was nominated for best visual effects. Um, the dude was so respected overall that the Smithsonian actually had him come out and do a full speech on his life. It took place on November 15, 2003 uh, at the uh, National Museum of American History. I can only imagine it was one of the highlights of his career. That just shows you that it, it transcended film and just the Academy and all that bull crap. We know how that goes, especially after the last Academy Awards. Like, it's a joke at this point, you know, but to, it's been a joke for a long time. Yeah. 
Same as Grammys. But to be invited by the Smithsonian, I just I couldn't even imagine what that had to feel like. No, it's uh it's it's funny. He had gone on record uh saying that AI was the most challenging film that he's ever done. I can imagine. And uh I mean I saw that in theaters. I'm I'm, I'm also a big fan of the cyberpunk genre of Philip K. Dick, and, mm. you know. Um, so yeah, I saw that and like that is again one of those things that came out a while back right now and it's bizarre knowing that i saw the theaters uh (laughs) that still holds up today i mean you know getting back to the cg in jurassic park and terminator 2 like the cg in those films look better than the cg in the fucking hobbit i agree at points man at the time of uh winston's death which was 2008 uh, he actually was already working on Terminator Salvation as well as uh, a cl- collaborator on Avatar. And he was working on Jurassic Park 4, which ended up getting canned, which turned into Jurassic World in 15. But those were actual films that he was going to be uh, featured on. He also did all the monsters for the Midway game, The Suffering, and its sequel. After his death, uh, his family founded the Sandwiches School of Character Arts to preserve his legacy, which unfortunately can never go to. However, I I am signed up for all their mailing lists and their uh, magazines and everything. And they you don't have to pay necessarily to get information from them. You can just sign up and they actually send you uh, ebooks and things like that with classes you can sign up for if you want or just little hints and tricks for the for the trade. It, it's not like most of those where here's the money, here's your stuff, here's the money, here's your stuff. You know, the, the family did it right. Yeah, he had a legendary career, and even more so, I with the mark he left behind. Oh yeah, legendary life. Uh, and I, I mean that from more than an effects standpoint. He was a known family man. Um, and there's actually a quote that I have that I'll I'll end the episode with uh, uh, on the video version where he talks about his family. But uh, away from Stan Winston, yes. So so that that was my. Uh... That was my TED talk there. I just wanted to. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But no, it, he was a big inspiration for me. And I probably wouldn't have done half the stuff I've done without doing that. You know, little details of sculpting that you see that he does that other people don't. It's just amazing. Away from Stan Winston, this is like a, a who's who of horror and, and just genre film. I mean, it's starring. Lance Henriksen, who is also has an incredible life story. Just, just something to point out. Like he dropped out of school at the eighth grade um, and he had a bunch of jobs before he started acting. He was a sailor. He's a miner, a fruit picker, a shrimp fisherman, dishwasher. Like he did, he was even a mime dude. Like he's journeyman, <laughs> jack of all trades, master of That's all great. of them. I'm sorry. Cause he's Lance fucking Henriksen. Right. Uh, he didn't start acting until he was 30 and he taught himself to read. At 30, so he could read lines. No shit. Yeah. Like, so Lance Henriksen, like, we always knew he was the man. Right. But he's the man. Um, he was originally considered to play the T-800 in The Terminator because the original script called for, you know, some somebody a little more normal looking right. instead of this buff Austrian guy <laughs> that could just blend into a crowd. But, you know, Cameron eventually changed his mind and went with Arnie. Um, I mean, do uh, we don't have time enough. Uh, to go through the same way Stan Winston's entire, you know, catalog. You can, we can't even go through all the shit that Lance Henriksen's done. I think he's most famous for his role as Bishop and Aliens. Of course. But, dude, he's done so many things. And, mm-hmm. guys, just pull up the IMDb. Just pull it up. Like, he's done shit you don't even know he's done. 
And he was a cool guy to meet. So yeah, he's very you know, absolute sweetheart. Yeah. We have Tom Woodruff Jr. who contributed to the creature effects in Pumpkinhead. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also played the, the creature. Right. Beyond that, he also played the xenomorph in both Alien vs. Predator movies, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection. He was Goro in Mortal Kombat. He was the creature in Leviathan, and he was the Gill Man in the Monster Squad. I did not know about Goro, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's mostly animatronic, but he, he was... No, but that's so cool, though. Then we have uh, Gypsy. Mm-hmm. He's played by Mushroom, the, you know, the dog in, in this movie. He's played by Mushroom, who also played Billy's dog, Barney, in Gremlins. Yes. Well, a little funny thing that I read was that he did his own stunts. Wow. <laughs> Gypsy's such a good boy. Um, one of my favorite things here, uh, Old Man Wallace. Buck Fowler, or Flower? Yes. Mm-hmm. George Buck Flower, who is literally known as the guy who has been in everything. Right. I'll run down a little list here. Power Rangers, Wishmaster, the old Renegade TV show, Village of the Damned, Tammy the T-Rex, uh, something I was watching last night, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., Back to the Future 1 and 2, Starman, Escape from New York, The Fog, where he played a character named Tommy Wallace. They live, Maniac Cop, and one of my personal favorites, Sorority Girls in the Slimeball Bolarama. That's funny. Talk about typecast. He usually played like a hobo, homeless guy, or backwoods guy mm-hmm. because, I mean, fuck it, man. Let's get paid, right? Right. Some other really cool things about this flick uh, the cabin where the teenagers stay. It's a Jarvis house from Friday the 13th, part four. Yep. Also known as the Superior Friday the 13th movie. I was going to say, but not only was it the uh, Jarvis house, but it was also used in Eraser, My Girl 2, and the Ed Gein movie, throwing back to earlier in the segment. And it was also used in Parks and, Recre- Parks and Recreation, Entourage, and This Is Us. So it's still there today in California. I mean, if it wasn't in California, I'd want to move there. <laughs> I've got no interest in going to California. Stan Winston, some other things he directed, other than the critically acclaimed A Gnome Named Norm. Right. Um, Michael Jackson's music video for Ghost and Guns N' Roses video for the longest song in cinema history. You Could Be Mine from Terminator 2, which I do believe clocks in it playing for almost a half an hour. Good Lord. Well, yeah, so Eddie Furlong starts it, and then it just it goes through almost the entire chase. It's just like, dude, the song's like six minutes. Right. What? what? <laughs> so so uh, this was also the uh, first film for three actors and the last film for one. Uh, Maya Bilek of Hunky Brewster and Big Bang Theory. She was the Wallace girl, uh, Christine Wallace, in the beginning of the movie. It was taunting her brother about Pumpkinhead, which is hilarious because even at such a young age, she still looks like Amy, Amy Farrah Fowler from Big Bang Theory. Like Her face barely changed. This was also the film debut of Brian Bremmer. Uh, looking at his IMDb, the main for me that stood out was um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. Uh, the film debut of Whoa. Devin Odessa. What? I'm sorry. It's just, it's sometimes I forget they made fucking five of those movies. <laughs> uh, Devin Odessa, but Again, look him up on IMDb. It's a plethora of TV roles. You'll know him from somewhere. And this was the last film role of Madeline Taylor Holmes. But it's uh, I should have going with the theme of you know Candyman uh, episode where everybody was on Cheers. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of people in the Renegade TV show that are in this cast. I didn't note notate it because I'm like no one's going to remember the Renegade TV show. I don't know if you remember it. I remember it. I was honestly it, no. Um, another thing about Lance Hendrickson, real quick though, um, he originally. Did not want to take this role. No, actually, one, one, one line slash one scene made him take it. 
Yes. Uh, do you, should, should we go into now? Or you just want to wait till we get there? Yeah, let's wait till we get there because I, I have a few things from a father's standpoint to say about it. Okay. We open on a farm in 1957. There's a young boy named Eddie at his bed praying with his mother. His father's loading a shotgun, and Eddie doesn't really know why. His father, he's out there checking the grounds. He stows the horses and locks up. There's a really, really ominous feeling here. Uh, already, you can tell that this is going to be dripping in like the folk horror atmosphere. Um, his wife asks if she should be afraid. Originally, I was like, why would she be afraid? But, you know, as we go on, I kind of, you know, figure out why. Um, then we cut somebody running through the wood, like woods, like they're being chased. We can hear some noises in the fog. There's no shot of the creature yet, but uh, the guy gets dragged back. Shots interspliced the family at the fire. They're waiting. Uh, we find out that the guy's name is Clayton. So Clayton is actually played by Dick Warlock. How do you look familiar? Who's famous, obviously, for playing the shape in Halloween, too. Right. But I also want to point out that me being a huge 80s sword and sorcery movie fan. Uh, he also had a bit role in Beastmaster 2 through the portal of time, That's which funny. is imagine a swords and sorcery version of Hercules in New York, but somehow worse. Mm. <laughs> so here's a little funny thing with Beastmaster. So uh, in Territory 2, I had never seen uh, Beast, the Beastmaster sequels. Uh, Kevin comes and he goes, we're going to have this witch and I need you to sculpt her face based off of the witches from Beastmaster, the scene where they, t- or one of the Beastmaster movies where they, they uh, dance topless. And I was like, okay, well, ours is going to be topless too. Okay. Why? And I just remember looking at these faces and we'll say that the special effects back then were not that good for that specific scene, but just, it was just, you talking about Beastmaster just made, made that click. And I just was like, wow, two people have seen Beastmaster and I have not. And I really, the, the effects in the original Beastmaster are awesome. Like the weird mm-hmm. bat leech demon things are mm-hmm. terrified me as a kid. Anyway, I'll, I'll have to rewatch it. Yeah. I, I have it on Blu-ray here. It's out of print, I think. Um, so anyway, uh, Clayton's banging on Tom Horley's door. He's asking for help. Uh, Eddie wants to know why his father's helping and his mother just says he can't, he just can't. We get some dialogue between Tom and Clayton. Clayton's pleading for help. He says he didn't kill the girl. Uh, they say that he did, but he didn't. Tom still turns him away. Clayton crawls off but gets caught. We get some glimpses of the creature in silhouette, kind of. Mm. Uh, mostly its head. Um, and then a little Eddie sees through the window another silhouette, like a body shot of it, where, you know, let's just point this out real quick. Not surprising, he does kind of, his silhouette is reminiscent of the xenomorph design in, in, a, in right. a sense. Yeah, I agree. But still uniquely different in its own way. We cut to the present day. And I immediately go, why does Ed have a goddamn flamethrower? <laughs> because it's Lance Hendrickson. Why does he not have a flamethrower? I mean, it's just such a bizarre thing to just randomly have. <laughs> Look, he got caught. He had to burn his field of weed. That's all it was. And I'm like, I put, I put here, I'm sure that'll come <laughs> in handy later. Uh, we got some really tender moments with Ed and his son. What? Foreshadowing. That's another one, man. I forgot about the foreshadowing. Um, we got some tender moments with Ed, his son, and their dog. And I, the thing is, the acting between these two actors, and I, I don't know who, who actually played Billy, his son. Mm-hmm. I didn't look that up. Like, it's so believable that I instantly believe that they're father and son. Mm-hmm. Like, instantly. You just feel that that relationship is there. Yeah, they played it really well. <clears throat> yeah. Inside, Billy asks if it's story time before giving Ed a present. It's a necklace. Ed says he'll never take it off. 
Foreshadowing. My note here is, man, this is going to really suck if Billy dies. <laughs> Again, you already believe right. in the relationship. There's got to be tragedy. So we cut to our typical teams. They're, uh, they're coming down the road. Um, it's all a bit cliche in the sense yeah, yeah. of teenagers uh, being out in the woods, fish out of water, or out in the boonies, uh, fish out of water, thinking they know everything, all that kind of bullshit. Um, I, I think I flubbed their names up here a little because they were just kind of spat out, and some of them even weren't until yeah. later in the movie. And to be honest, uh, it, they were just fodder. They were kind of... Yeah, they don't even matter what their names are. It doesn't matter what your name is! You have the uh, the badass guy who has to drink and drive, show that he's a badass. Right. You know. So I have here, Tracy is told that Joel is a great guy once she gets to know him. Then we cut to the second car, where Joel asks for a beer while driving, Swerves into the other lane to go around his friends and also does a pretty solid slice the loan impression. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty on point, honestly. Um, his only redeeming quality in this entire movie is he does a pretty, pretty solid Stallone. Otherwise, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so we see uh, Ed and his son opening up Corley and Son's grocery store. Uh, my note here is I got the impression they'll have to change that sign soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tracy's a photographer. Uh, she wants to take a picture of a local. I'm not sure at this point if that's going to be important. Turns out that it actually isn't. Um, I guess it's just trying to arbitrary way of trying to give some character development or, or yeah. something, some some sort of trait or characteristic. And it sounds like I'm shitting on this movie, but it's more so the the cannon fodder of the teenagers. Look, in, in the end, this movie is Lance Henderson, Haggis, yeah. the kid, and Pumpkinhead. Everybody else doesn't matter. They pull up to the store, and Joel finishes beer and throws it in the grass like some kind of king dickhead. Um, Gypsy doesn't like him, and neither do I. <laughs> Joel comments that Billy's glasses are like Coke bottles. I mean, dude, the kid's, the kid's fucking blind, not deaf. He's right in front of you. Right. Like, come on, dude. I digress. Other teenagers, they meet Gypsy. They seem all right enough. Uh, Joel gets on one of the dirt bikes and decides he's going to go, like, dune hopping because he's, once again... Total dickhead. Right. Uh, the Wallace family rolls up. What? Must establish dominance. Oh, yeah, sure. He's the alpha male. He's a right. prick. Um, <laughs> I'm immediately offended by him. Like, it's the second he was on screen, I'm like, fuck this guy, dude. <laughs> um, the Wallace family pulls up, and Mr. Wallace has, like, five kids. Um, one of them doesn't know what a camera is. Uh, one of them, whose name I thought they said was Jimmy Joe. Uh, looks right. like he steals Gypsy's ball. And this this is only here so we can get some exposition on the Legend of Pumpkinhead. Oh, yeah. The kids surround them. They, they're reciting the poem from earlier. Uh, I guess Ed can hear them from inside the store. We get a flashback to what he saw as a child. Mm. Really coming off as some uh, some Children of the Corn, Village of the Damned mm. stuff here. Kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Halloween, too, with the them at the pl- uh, playground. Yeah. Chanting about Michael Myers and or Boogeyman, yeah. should say. I'm sorry. Um. So apparently Ed left Wallace's feed at his house. Wallace tells me he can't wait. Ed offers to drop it off before dark. So this this whole bit here confused me a bit. So he tells Billy and Gypsy to get inside and stay. Because he's going to go right then and there to go get it. Like, if he just has to get it there before dark. Why didn't he just wait? Yeah. You know, why leave your, your son unattended? But different time. Different time, I guess. Um, Joel is still out there popping wheelies. Tracy thinks he's a jerk. She's right. So the Steve character here, I thought they called him Scratch earlier. I don't know if that was a nickname or maybe I just misheard it. Right. But uh, Steve's his brother. He's now also getting on a bike. They're jumping dunes. Ed splits. Again, why wouldn't he just lock up the store and take Billy with him? Uh, it's not like Billy is going to 
run the store sell anything. You don't know that. Child <laughs> labor Tipsy back might. then. Tipsy seemed different. pretty smart. Exactly. Yeah, Tipsy's a good boy. <laughs> Speaking of Gypsy, maybe not such a good boy because Gypsy gets out. Billy chases and the other teenagers are chasing Billy and like really, really slowly. One of them falls down. Somehow all of these like developed teenagers are slower than this child and can't catch him. I, I noticed that too. Like I felt like she was running in quicksand, like just yeah. But uh one thing that I you kind of like went over and I was waiting to get it brought back up was when they were talking about the legend of the uh pumpkin head and making fun of the boy. Sure. I, I love how the girl steps up and like, oh, what are you doing? You're scared. And then her pussy of a boyfriend's like, I was gonna say something. Yeah, Chris, like, oh, I was gonna say something. Yeah, yeah. Sure you were. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of little character beats that I actually didn't notate just because the teenagers here, I'm going to just say what it is. They don't matter. No. They are there, in my opinion, to pad the runtime, and they're a plot device to get Pumpkinhead to be a thing. Of course. Period. So anyway, uh, somehow they're all slower. Actually, getting back to your quicksand thing, I just want to you know say that when I was younger, I would thought that quicksand was going to be a bigger problem in life. Yes. You thought it was going to be everywhere. Every movie we saw in the 80s, everybody was dying in quicksand. Yeah, started. and it worked you know, very differently than mm-hmm. uh, it actually works. I mean, it would happen to Batman and the, the, the Adam West show all the time. <laughs> all the time. But actually, it did come up in cinema again. It happened in the, the, the last shitty Star Wars sequel. There was quicksand, and it still worked right. the same way. That's funny. It was just a plot device to get them to their MacGuffin. It was stupid. Fuck those sequels. I said what I said. I know you did. Anyway, they're all slower somehow. They can't catch him. Uh, Steve dumps his bike. Then Joel comes crashing down right on top of Billy. And he's like, he came out of nowhere. R.I.P. Billy. Yeah, he gone. Well, not yet. He's not gone yet. Didn't realize that at the time, but, you know, R.I.P. Billy. Uh, Joel says he's been drinking and they're going to fry him. Yeah, apparently <laughs> he has caught. a past. I guess he's getting the chair for. Accidentally killing the kid him. with the dirt bike. Right. They, they elaborate or kind of alluded to him having a past. So, yeah. Well, he's yeah. the bad boy. He's that, that archetype. Mm. Um, I actually never got his girlfriend's name until much later in the movie because I don't think they said it until much later in the movie. So, him and his okay. chick split. Everybody's freaking out. Steve sends Chris and the other girls to the cabin to call the police. Steve's going to sit there with the corpse of Billy, even though it's not his corpse yet. But yeah. I thought it was. Like, they're, they're out in the sun. It's hot. Bring him a blanket. Keep him warm. Yeah, right? <laughs> like it looked like it was 90 degrees. They're like, give him a blanket. <laughs> so Ed gets back. He finds Billy, Steve, and Gypsy. Um, one thing that I really appreciate in this scene is the lack of music. Yeah, it was very somber. Yeah, you just got the natural noises of just, mm-hmm. you know, the area. It, it gave the weight of the situation more reality. And, but that goes into what I was going to say when it gets a little further along. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's one of the things about, you know, sound design is sometimes the lack of sound adds mm-hmm. um, but by subtraction. So uh, Steve says no one saw him. It was an accident. And asked if he can help. And Ed just gives him this look of death. <laughs> you know, for those of you that are, are watching on the YouTube, uh, it's the look that Papa Stank just gave all of you. So he, yeah, he just, like, I was afraid of Lance Hendrickson in that moment. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, he's okay. going to come through, like, uh, Sadako and, and Ringu and get my ass. So. And, uh, one thing about uh, the um, Ed Harley's character was Lance Hendrickson actually did, had the teeth made himself because he thought it would make him look more of the part. 
So oh, wow. the, the fake teeth, that was actually a, a Lance Hendrickson thing. I didn't know he was wearing fake teeth. Yep. Huh. That's pretty cool. So yeah, one of the one, one of the girls named Maggie. This is where I find out one of the girls named Maggie. Uh, she gets back to the cabin, asks if Joe called for help. Him and his chick, who's been crying, they don't answer at all. Maggie tries to call, but Joel, now a murderer, rips the phone cord out of the wall. We find out that Joel was in a drinking and driving accident and is on probation. He takes the keys and starts assaulting all of his friends. Uh, Joel would rather a child die at this point than go to AA or prison. Probably both. He's not a quitter. Yeah. Um, he then proceeds to possibly murder Chris by hitting him in the back of the head with a, with a log. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's make a bad situation far worse by attempting to murder all of my friends in the driver's home. Uh, we cut to Ed taking Billy home, who I guess now is not dead yet. Uh, he calls out daddy and then dies. And my note here is, okay, ouch, that's fucked up. Yeah, that, that was what I was talking about, was that him waking up just enough to say that, like, from a parent's perspective. One thing that I love is, like, if I walk by my kid's room and they're asleep and you just hear the, daddy, it's like, oh, kind of melt, makes you melt. And for that to be the last thing you heard, again, there was if there was music, I didn't really catch it, but I still felt that there was it was very silent at this point. And instead of doing the cliche, no, kind of reaction, Hendrickson's reaction was real and it hurt. Like it, you saw this man with nothing, with everything to lose in this one kid. And at this point, nothing to lose. You know, he, he went from being a happy father, just living off the land, doing his thing to just end of his rope. And it all happened in 30 seconds, like in that scene. And I got to say, like, that was, you know, award worthy the way he reacted to that. He brings a, a real weight to this role. Exactly. And, you know, a, a lot of that you have to give credit to the uh, again, I don't have the let me see if I can find it. The young actor's name. No, I don't have the, the IMD page up. IMDb page up. Um, who played Billy? The two of them together just really just made you believe mm -hmm. uh, that they were father and son. So yeah, there's a there's a big weight that comes with that. But um, you know, I know that this is a real somber, sad note. But I, I just wanted to ask here: Why the fuck didn't Ed take him to the hospital or doctor? Why did he take him home? Isn't I he mean, responsible? Kind of partially responsible for his son's death now? To a point, but at the same negligence. time, where, negligence. Where's the hospital at? I don't know. They were going to call one. Yeah, but never mind. <laughs> uh, anyway, you're out, you're out in the boonies. There's ch chances are that it's going to take an hour just to have an ambulance get there. They got to go find old Doc Watson down the road. Mm. <laughs> Negligence. Oh, no, but I, I digress. This scene is really heavy, man. Oh, yeah. So we cut to Steve arriving at the driver's house. And I'm just going to call it the driver's house from now on because that's what it fucking is. Um, and he sees that Joel has attacked literally everyone and locked Chris and Maggie in the closet right. because he is fucking psycho. Steve says uh, that Ed just looked at him like he, and wanted to kill him when Joel asked, you know. I looked at Maggie and I was like, no shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? You just dropped a you? dirt bike on my son. <laughs> what did you expect him to do? It's okay, buddy. I'll call you for the uh, hospital bill. Right. Not going to happen. Um, for the copay, at least. So Joel is just very adamant that he's not going to prison for an accident, but he will probably go for involuntary manslaughter at this point. So 
well, and assault and kidnapping and holding against one's will and the list just goes on. Yes, drinking and driving. We can't forget that one. That's a crime. Yeah, so we cut to Ed pulling up to the Wallaces. <laughs> I have a note here. I know this motherfucker did not stop to drop this goddamn seat off with the corpse of his son in the car. <laughs> He's a man of his word. He had to get it done. Ed asks Wallace about some old woman with powers. Wallace says he doesn't know anything, and Ed shows him his son's corpse. I don't know anything. <laughs> Wallace sends his grandson bunt away, and I just want to say that I was while I was watching the film yesterday, and I was typing my my recap. The B and the C key are very close to each other, uh, so <laughs> and I may have made some typing errors that I just noticed. <laughs> so, gonna have to be very careful when I'm reading this. <laughs> if I slip, I'm so sorry. No, you're not. Well, <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, so, Ed tells Wallace what happened. Uh, Wallace says the old woman can't help. All she can do is send Ed to hell. Ed leaves, but Bunt <laughs> jumps in the middle of the road and uh, tells him where the old woman is. Ed pays him the money that he got from his grandfather. So we could find out where Haggis is. Haggis. Haggis. Haggis Scottish is a hag. Mm-hmm. It's like the Candyman with the last name Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> now we're meta. Mm. Uh, it's an homage. It's an homage mm. to something they never knew about a film that was made after it. <laughs> you know, while we're on the topic of Candyman real quick, oh, I'm disappointed in both of us. We did not bring up the Bloody Mary legend while discussing Candyman. Oh, no, I had it in my notes that Candyman was a, a mixture of the man with the hook hand and Bloody Mary. Yeah, yeah we didn't mention it. I, you know, especially I had the mind too. Well, especially considering Bloody Mary is technically a Maryland thing. So, yeah, and we just suck. It's, I just wanted to bring that up because my sister actually listened. She called, so why don't you guys talk about Bloody Mary? I'm like, son of a bitch. When you, when you get into this, you, you miss things. Like, I have so many notes here that probably will get glossed over. So, but go on to Haggis. Uh, Ed makes him show him where Haggis is, but he dips, you know, part of the way. Um, so I just want to say real quick, I really dig how the swamp looks here. Mm-hmm. It's very Halloweeny, very I don't want to say cliche in a bad way, but it's it's how it should look for you know a horror movie in okay. this setting with the content that in the story that's telling. Right. It's very, you know, again, folk. It's very folk horror. It's uh, I mean. The poster says it's a grim fairy tale, which is basically a folk horror. Oh, and it's funny because it actually reminded me a lot of a Pet Cemetery too. Oh yeah, you know, the the concept of the tra- tragic death, going somewhere for you know, in in this case, it's not to bring the kid back to life, but you know, to get vengeance. Right. I don't know. I found some parallels there that I thought were really cool, and then the visuals too. The uh, the anniversary of uh, the release of Pet Cemetery was earlier this week. Shit. Yes, April twenty uh, first, I believe. I love that movie. Yeah, great flick. I haven't seen the remake. It sucks. I believe that. So the, uh, the witch's house looks fucking awesome here. Oh, yeah. And something about Haggis, uh, her costume weighed 65 pounds. Holy shit. Yeah. Do we know who played her? I didn't pull that up. Um, I actually had the whole cast and I deleted it because I didn't think it would really be necessary. I mean, the teenagers aren't because, again, yeah. cannon fodder. Because um, I know that and no, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure she came back for the sequels. I so I saw uh, the second one. I haven't seen the two sci-fi ones. 
I remember when the two sci-fi ones were coming out, and it's weird because I had this weird excitement for sequels to it, having never actually watched the whole movie, but I was excited for the right. sci-fi movies. Because I think the uh, the two Return of the Living Dead sequels came out at the same time. The Raven, the Raven, Necropolis. That sounds the, about right. Necropolis, is it? Necropolis. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Lance Henriksen is embarrassed to have actually ever done those sci-fi movies. Yeah, I had a note. He actually was on record saying they were so shitty. End quote. <laughs> right. 2006's Ashes to Ashes and 2007's Blood Feud. Yeah. Um, but a funny thing was, is he actually told a reporter once that uh, he was supposed to do a Q&A at a theater after that, and he crawled out of the theater on his hands and knees because he couldn't face the audience. For <laughs> <Brother> the <laughs> proof that Lance Henriksen is the fucking man. Uh, the second one, was it called? Blood... Blood Wings? Blood Wings? Yeah. It had nothing to do with the first one. It was a complete separate no. film. Um, nobody, unless Haggis came back, but it might not have been the same actress. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Haggis did come back, uh, but I'm not sure if it was the same actor right. or actress. Uh, that's something we probably should have looked up, but we're shitty hosts. Um, <laughs> uh, another thing is uh, Blood Wings is impressively hard to find. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's out of print. I was actually looking it up yesterday. I found a couple Blu-ray copies for almost 200 bucks. Shit, years ago, I had to spend buku money just to get it on VHS. Yeah. I'd buy it off of eBay and hope that it actually showed up. Yeah. Yeah, never saw it. And I guess yeah. I never will unless they, you know, remaster it. You know, maybe Arrow will get it. Arrow does awesome stuff. Like That's that. possible. We'll so let's keep this ball rolling because I got something to say on this next part. So, Okay, cool. Um, really great lighting here. Nice backlit shot of her in the chair. Um, Everything about this is just like dripping with atmosphere. I love it. Oh yeah, it's very like you said, folk fantasy in in a real world situation, and it was just it's what made it fun. You know, it could have just been like cabin in the woods bullshit. You know, another Evil Dead cabin, but instead it looked the part. The sets were characters in themselves. Yeah, kind of getting back to uh, what I mentioned about the Batman, where Gotham yeah. is a character. Exactly. You no know, setting. Having your setting be a, a character really helps helps the piece as a whole. Mm-hmm. So Ed brings his son's body in. The witch asks who he is. Uh, she says raising the dead isn't within her power. Ed tries to offer gold and she repeats that there's nothing she can do. The music here is super awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, she asks what he really wants. This is a really, really awesome scene. The witch tells Ed that what he's asking for has a powerful price. Um, she's going to send him to a graveyard at Razorback Hollow, and she wants him to find the thing that he needs in the graveyard and bring it back. Ed wants to know, how will I know? And she says, you'll know, Ed Harley, you'll know. This mm-hmm. is so creepy. Well, and that's, the, that's, that's one of the things. There's a few things on this I wanted to touch on. So initially, the Haggis and Pumpkinhead character were written differently, and Sam Winston and his team insisted that they darken the characters. So I kind of for like i, I kind of see the haggis character being hey 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 over the top witchy and almost comic like and it was brought down to such a serious tone that she was legitimately creepy so that was kind of cool and then too you're talking about him with the his payment the coins and all that so that's one more thing that lance henderson did was he actually went from pawn shop to pawn shop in the area and found uh, the shotgun that he used later in the film it was an old world war ii shotgun or i'm sorry world war one shotgun that he bought he bought all his clothes for the film from thrift stores and the silver dollars he ended up uh getting too and he went on record saying that he dropped some of them through the floorboards that the cabin itself was real and they're probably still there oh wow yeah it's pretty awesome yeah it, it it makes me think of what we talked about with tony todd you know how much he put into the character behind the scenes 
that Lance Lance Hendrickson bought the boy a bunny, his son in the film bought the bunny. So his son would have the bunny to give them more of a realistic chemistry family stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Character actor 101. Oh yeah. Um, You know, at this point, I kind of think about Lance Hendrickson's performance and how I wish that he were, you know, this was a more memorable role for him as opposed to Bishop. Um, because he does so much. And that's, this is not a slight on his portrayal of Bishop in, in Aliens because it's awesome. Um, but he does so much more right. in this movie. And you know, part of it's he's playing an android, <laughs> you know, in Aliens. And you got to think the difference is you have James Cameron, you know, high budget versus a 3.5 mil budget with a first time director. Which was actually uh, only turned like, I think, 1.3 mil. Mm. It was a failure, an absolute failure at the yep. box office. Um, since gone on to become a cult classic of which I never saw until yesterday. <laughs> um, so Ed goes to a sufficiently creepy graveyard. Uh, there are pumpkins everywhere. Uh, he finds this raised plot with pumpkins on it. He digs up the body. Um, sound design here is just chilling. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. But I do want to notate here. Just got to point out the grave is very unrealistic. Me being someone who actually used to bury people for a living uh, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, you can take the the man out of the Undertaker, but you can't take the Undertaker out of the man. Um, the dirt is entirely too soft. It's basically topsoil. It didn't oh, say. Yeah. Like, well, I, I was going to say something about that, but it, yeah, uh, the fact that he did what one or two shovels and then he just dug it with his hands. Yeah. Also, um, I don't know what the laws are there. I, we but do we know what state this takes place in? Does it ever say? I don't. I don't think they said actually. Well, I mean, so a lot of people think that um, you've got to bury a uh, body six feet under that. It's not the case, um, at least not where we're at. Mm. Uh, you actually, it's not about how deep it is. It's about what's on top of it. Mm. There has to be at least 24 inches of soil on top of what's buried, which more often than not turns out to be five feet, maybe four and a half, depending on the slope of the land. Mm. Um, anyway, this is my TED talk <laughs> about burying people. I'm a freak. Anyway, so it's basically topsoil. He gets the body. Um, we cut back to the teenagers, and they're trying to convince Joel to stop being a total cock knocker. I said one more thing on the grave. Sure. Um, so the reason he is called Pumpkinhead is obviously that he, d- he doesn't have a pumpkin for a head. It's because it was a pumpkin patch that he was buried in. However, Stan Winston and his team specifically told the studio, we will not make a monster with a pumpkin head, which leads me to believe at one point that's what they wanted. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that would have been awful. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, well, Stan Winston didn't do the creature effects on this, so I feel like if he did, like, it would look awesome. But since he didn't, it probably would have. Right. You know, I don't know. But, I, I but again, Pumpkinhead does look awesome. So, But keep going. So we come back to the teenagers, and they're trying to convince Joel to stop being a total cock knocker. Um, for some reason, Maggie is really fucked up about all this. Mm. Um, I don't know why. There was no backstory, so... We go back to the witch's shack. It brings the body in and is told that's what he wanted. Uh, the witch explains the entire pumpkinhead demon. Uh, she cuts him and Billy and mixes her blood before pouring it on the head of the corpse. Ed falls down like he's hallucinating. Really great effects on baby pumpkinhead here. Good, great effects on baby pumpkinhead. Awful effects on the knife effect. You actually, if you watch her cut Ed Hartley's hand, uh, Hartley's hand uh, there's a tube. It's, this is a very common effect on a fake knife that goes behind it they didn't extend the tube out to the tip of the knife so the knife was 
up like this and the blood ended up coming from back here instead of down here so it actually squirted on his hand huh. and two they would have never had flowing blood out of the child because he had been dead for too long hmm. yeah very good again he's the facts guy but yeah baby baby pumpkin head looks awesome mm-hmm. um he immediately becomes an adult and boy do they grow up fast again very similar to uh alien you know going from face hugger to the chest burst uh buster to the full size like, well see i think i feel like that changed with as the alien movies went on because if you remember alien like it didn't become a full-grown adult until the end of the movie no i get that but it still was only the course of like 24 hours this happened in 10 minutes yeah but i mean <laughs> that that's something that's always bothered me about the alien franchise how they changed the, just what you want to call it the gestation gestation rate of you know the face hugger to the chest burster to the full grown adult mm. whereas the sequels it's like face hugger and then immediately a burst out of your chest right so um ed wakes up on the floor she's standing over him and she says you can go now and i think we've all been there <laughs> got a little thing going there got her got her uh, her rocks off and get the fuck out yeah but she said what it could cost more than he could pay or something yeah. <laughs> yeah. no shit Mm. Uh, Ed Ed almost has a head-on collision and hallucinates his son waking up would you do daddy and is the line that his uh, his son Billy asks him this is the scene that convinced Lance Henson to take the part yeah it was he said it was so unnerving for him to read it that he just had to do it yeah we cut back to the Jarvis house Maggie's now pissed Steve slams a window shut he tells Joel he needs to do the right thing. Maggie walks out. Um, and at, at this point, I put a little note here that these teenager scenes are so short and they're very pointless. Because there's a lot of cuts back and forth of yeah. Ed and the teenagers. And the we don't spend a whole lot of time. Not that we need to spend a lot of time with teenagers. But it's almost like we, you could do this all in like a 10-minute span of right. a shot with them. Like all of it rather than cutting back and forth. Right. Um. And again, we immediately cut to Ed burying his son next to his wife. And then we cut right back to Maggie. Like, it's not jarring. It's just, again, I feel like a lot of teenager stuff is to pad the run time. But yeah, I mean, I think in a way they also were trying to give some weight to the teenagers. And it just, to me, it wasn't working. You know, yeah. you started having some of them coming around of we did something bad. We're going to pay for this. We have to turn. Mm, it's too far gone at this point. You're all assholes. Yeah. And again, that's not. It's not a. It's not a hard to watch. It's not a, a bad watch. It's just something that I, you know, I feel like, yeah. you know. But you know, when do the teenagers matter in, in horror movies? Right. Especially this time period. Again, the Friday the Thirteenth of the world. Um, so we cut back to Maggie wandering through the woods. She catches up. Uh, I'm sorry, Steve catches up to her, and shows her a cross and tells her to come back. And I, I'm at this point, I'm like, is she possessed? Is, is being religious one of her character traits that we just didn't know about until this very second? Um, Pumpkinhead stalking them. Really cool stalk scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, he grabs Steve, then drops him out of a tree, which is cool. Uh, we go back to Ed at the family cemetery, and he can see all of this happening. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve's dragged off into the darkness, and Maggie screams. This is where, you know, it was established, I guess, at the creation of the baby Pumpkinhead, that they kind of have, like, the symbiotic relationship. Right. But I think it's really like cemented here is when you like oh you know you get it they're connected they're blood they're blood connected yeah so we cut to joel and his chick who i still have no idea what the fuck her name is 
Joel says he's been a fuck up his whole life, and then he lets Chris out, and um, I think her name is Stacy. Lets him out of the closet. Then all of a sudden, Maggie bursts in, says she's being attacked. Chris and Joel take guns and they go search the woods. Maggie's praying again, again, because I, I missed the part where she's super religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maggie says God's the only thing that can stop what's out there. There's a cool shot of Pumpkinhead walking by the window, which, like, it's it's really cool, but it's also kind of funny that there's three people in the kitchen and not fucking one of them notices. Right. There's, there's a lot of good cinematography here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what I liked about this shot is as he's walking by the window, the camera pans too. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a blinking and missing kind of thing. Right. I really liked that. Like it wasn't like a static shot and he's like walking by uh, like the alien in signs. <laughs> <laughs> Strutting out of the bushes like the nature boy, Ric Flair. Um, <laughs> so Joel and Chris run back to the cabin. They bust in like maniacs and uh, they always get cleaved. Because one of the girls is brandishing a cleaver now. And that's another thing. You were talking about, like, you know, you always talk about quicksand. As a kid, I always thought every kitchen had a cleaver. Because... <laughs> You're not wrong. I feel like in all the 80s movies, everybody always had a cleaver somewhere. And I've never owned one. And I cook a shit ton. And now but, I need to buy one. I mean, Christ, my family never had, like, a long Michael Myers-style butcher knife until I was, like, 14. I, I'm pretty sure that the knife block I have now is the first one that has one of those. Huh. I imagine I had a lot more of these issues, you know, growing up when I was a kid. And it just, I guess, whatever. Um, anyway, Joel and Chris run back into the cabin. They almost get cleaved, as we uh, just mentioned. They say they got to find uh, Steve. Well, Steve finds them because his corpse gets dropped at their door. Mm-hmm. Really awesome effects. Right. Gore effects here. Uh, Pumpkinhead then pulls Maggie up to the roof. Trace and Steve go after her. All of this is interspliced with Ed experiencing all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. m- then Pumpkinhead carves an X into Maggie's head. Mm-hmm. The poster. Yeah. Ed drives back to the witch and he's crawling on the floor, kind of like how he crawled out of the theater to avoid the crowds <laughs> for the shitty sequels. Um, she says it'll pass. Let it finish. Ed wants to stop it. She says it's what he wanted. Nothing she can do. Gotta let it run its course. That line reminded me of Ed, Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. He gets a little Mississippi leg in him. If he, if he grabs hold, it's best to just let him finish. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, Ed says he'll stop it himself. She says, you'll fail and you'll die. And if I had a dollar for every time someone said that to me, I would not have to eventually monetize our YouTube channel. <laughs> he says, God damn you. And she says, he already has. And I really love that, that exchange mm. there. That's super cool. Again, the darkness that Stan Winston put into the characters. Yeah. Um, back to the driver's house. Pumpkinhead is toying with Maggie at the window, which is super awesome. I love that Pumpkinhead kind of toys mm-hmm. with his victims. Yeah, just seeing her face smashed and just being rubbed across the window. And what I really like about this is, like, he doesn't do what you'd expect. Like, throw her through the window. He just, like, very forcefully pushes, like, half her body into the window until it breaks and just leaves her laying there, like, halfway through the window. Mm-hmm. It's so anti what you would expect. It's subdued. There's a right. lot of stuff about this that, this whole movie that's really subdued. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's done in the uh, the opposite way of the typical horror film, right? Especially in the era. Um, Joel finds Jason Voorhees' machete, which is left in the driver's home, so that's still there. But they also find one of the bikes trashed. Uh, 
Joel yells out of the woods, I'm the one you want. And yes, Joel, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes back into the cabin, and we get our first actual full look at Pumpkinhead at this point. Uh, it's been a lot of you know silhouettes, hands, mm-hmm. lighting. Just, this right. is the first full shot, and goddamn, what a creature design, man. Oh, yeah. And it's what an absolute masterpiece. And the actor was glued into the suit for minimum eight hours at a time, too. It wasn't just a suit he could get in and out of. Like they that that one was a full-fledged like bodysuit that you were stuck. So wow. kudos to him for doing that. Joel tries to attack Pumpkinhead, but he gets stopped. And then Kim is dragged off. Is it Kim? I don't know if it's Kim or not. That yeah, that's his girlfriend. We find out what her name is now. Yeah, Kim. Kim. Yeah, she gets dragged off. They go looking for her, and she gets dropped out of a huge fucking tree straight down onto a rock. That was an awesome shot, though, when the camera's yes. on the ground looking up, and you just see him perch like a gargoyle holding her. Yes. I, I love that. Yeah, I, I wrote down here, this is a really cool shot of Pumpkinhead holding her in the tree. Mm. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I have a note here at this point in the film uh, to quote one of my favorite uh, independent professional wrestlers, Warhorse. This movie fucking rules all the ass. <laughs> Ed makes it to the cabin and he sees all the chaos. Uh, we get the teenagers asking the locals for help. Nobody's going to help them. They try to break into a truck, but they get caught by a local with a shotgun and tells them that they need to get away. Uh, he says he can't help them. They're marked. Nice shot of Pumpkinhead stalking them. I really, really like the stalking Pumpkinhead mm. aspect of them and all. It's far more creepy than just, you know, jump scares. And I think there's actually only one jump scare in this movie. Yeah, it's really... It, it's, it's, all, it's actually Gypsy. Right. It's mostly atmosphere, which is nice. Yeah. So Ed shows up and he shoots Pumpkinhead, who collapses. Joel shoots him in the head and says, it's dead. Famous last words. Right. Pumpkinhead looks like a boss with the gun, because he just looks super cool. Like He goes full Rambo. He's holding the gun now. Mm-hmm. And rather than shoot Joel, he impales him. Not that I would think that Pumpkinhead would know how to fire a gun, but he impales him. I wouldn't have been against it, though. That would have been kind of a funny look if you would have shot him. Yeah, yeah. But no, the the impaling was just great. And then as he just holds him up and the camera pans up with the shot of him raising him. Yeah. And then he like he's sitting there and he's like, he's holding Joel's head. He's like picking up and dropping it, picking mm-hmm. up and dropping it. He's just basically, he's, well, he's playing with his food because he's not going to eat him. But right. I love it. I love it. So the locals that was there earlier had a dog. And it attacks Ed, bites his arm, and Pumpkinhead reacts. Now we've established their, their physical. And the funny part was is the dog actually, a continuity error was the dog bit one arm, and when the camera came back, it was on the other arm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't notice that. I guess just because I was first time watched, I was really into it at this mm. point. Um, we go back to the Wallace's house. Wallace tells Bunt <laughs> to get away from the window. Yep. Uh, he explains that Pumpkinhead kills what it's called to kill. Mm-hmm. And whatever gets in its way, they will be fine basically if they just stay out of the way. Uh, the teenagers are banging on the door, they don't answer. Bunt is talking to his sister in the bedroom, he gets suited up, uh, and by suited up, I mean he puts on overalls. Uh, <laughs> he wants to find out if Pumpkinhead is real. Uh, he finds Chris and Stacy, and he explains that he can't help but he knows somewhere safe. Takes him to an old, decrepit church, which looks awesome. And he says he figures Pumpkinhead won't like it because it's holy. Um, where's Maggie now? I mean, Maggie's dead. That's where she is now. He's either in heaven, hell, or nothing. Who knows? Yeah, basically. But uh, no, I love that because I love Pumpkinhead's look when he's like looking at the church walls, looks at the people, and 
fuck it, just walks in. Yeah. But a cool thing on that was in the standard edition DVD, so not the widescreen. And I remember seeing this in person and seeing this in a magazine back in the day. Um, at that point, the actor wasn't wearing stilts. This was just a stunt suit for that scene. And he was wearing white Nikes. And you can actually see them in the standard edition version. Yeah, the, the old Nikes. <laughs> um, so in the, in the church, the teens ask, you know, what he knows about Pumpkinhead. And he basically just explains them all the things we already know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time he's called Pumpkinhead in the film. Didn't realize it, but that makes sense. Yeah, so he just basically recaps the movie to everyone. And uh, getting back to your point, you know, Pumpkinhead is his enter his entrance into the church. Um, zero fucks are given. Mm-hmm. He just walks in like a boss and smashes across. Yep. Ed's now at the Wallace house. He's looking for help, but he's chased off at gunpoint. Teenagers arrive back at the other bikes and the overturned cars. Pumpkinhead is there and he picks up Chris, who is on a bike, and it just tosses him, just like goodbye. Yeah, and I love that because if you, if you do notice, if you if you pay attention close, there's a lot of falling in this film, dropping from trees, just dropping in general. Yeah. And the bodies were really good, but it's just funny when they fall because they're super stiff. And that was that one was one that was really noticeable on the bike. It's like, yeah, when I when I saw, it, I was like, well, that looked weird. <laughs> so Tracy and Bunt leave him to die, as they should. <laughs> um, and then they run into Ed. Uh, they head to Ed's truck. We cut back to Pumpkinhead twinning with Chris, then back to Ed and the gang. Uh, he tells them to get in the house if they want to live. Ed goes to the barn and, and gets his fucking flamethrower because here we are. There was the foreshadowing. Stay away from her, you bitch. Oh, wrong movie. I'm sorry. Also uh, related to another James Cameron movie, um, go in the house if you want to live. Come with me if you want to live. Right. Um, so basically Cameron ripped off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, Stacy goes out to Ed. She does not stay in the house. Um, she tells him it was an accident. No one saw him. It was too late. And Ed just says he's dead. She asks him to stop and call it off. Ed says nothing called off, but he can send it back to hell. Pumpkinhead drags a still living Chris to the house and drops him. Ed is acting really strangely in the barn at this point. Pumpkinhead opens a closet that Bunt is in. Gypsy is in the toy chest, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. He drags Bunt out, which I kind of felt like it contradicted the whole notion of it only kills what he's called for when he gets in his way. Right. He wasn't really in the way. Yeah, Bunt's just in the closet. So, I don't know. Dramatic effect. Yeah. Uh, Eddie looks... uh, Eddie, Jesus. Uh, Ed looks up at (laughs) Stacy and his eyes are completely white. That was a cool shot. Yeah. It it kind of harkens back to what would he do? Or what would he say? It looked like he wanted to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that look, but with the with the makeup and just it really sold it. Yeah, um, and then in the most clumsy reveal in the history of cinema, Ed gets caught on a nail and stabs himself in the shoulder with a rake on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! It would happen to me. It would happen to me. <laughs> like I'm, I, my thing is like I wasn't even mad about it. Like. I don't think it's lazy. It's realistic. I'm like, I would, I feel like that's not only does that happen to me regularly, I called mm-hmm. on things, but that would have, that would have happened to me. I would have uh, definitely gotten caught on a nail with the hose of the flamethrower. <laughs> only I wouldn't have like tripped and stabbed myself in the rake. Somehow the flamethrower would have like blown up on my back. Probably. Cause I am that clumsy. And it's just, well, I mean, you know, it, it, 80s horror did that. Like when, um, in Hellraiser, when he cut his hand on the nail, carrying the, carrying the, uh, sofa. You know, people do stuff like that. I cut myself on shit all the time. Um, 
Pumpkinhead reacts to the injury as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Pumpkinhead is looking more like Ed and vice versa now. Right. Really going into the symbiotic relationship to the longer this goes, the more yeah. they become each other. Yeah, every soul that Pumpkinhead takes, it, it drags him more to Ed and Ed more to hell. Right. You know, I, I, I like that. And Ed, like, he, he realizes now, so he stumbles to his car to get a gun. Um, Stacy picks up the flamethrower, and she's trying to hold Pumpkinhead off. Pumpkinhead catches her. Just before he can do anything, Ed shoots himself. Well, before Ed shot himself, that was the another continuity error. They just established that Ed gets stabbed with his pitchfork and Pumpkinhead's, ah! well, she hits Pumpkinhead with the flamethrower and Pumpkinhead shakes it off and Ed's just kind of like. You know, I, I thought that too, but I like, because I, I, I definitely took it back a bit to like check it out. I think she didn't really hit him with the flamethrower. She was just trying to keep, just kind of keep him at bay. Okay. Eh, maybe. Is what it looked like to me. Tell us what you think. I'm curious. Yeah, because and that's what I thought too. I was like, "Well, why isn't Ed burning alive right now?" Right. And then I just I took it back. I was like, "Well, she's not really hitting the demon. Mm. It's just in front of him, like just kind of pushing him back." Um, and then he gets in there and like in between the flames and grabs her. But yeah. So Ed shoots himself in the head, and they both drop. But Ed's not dead because he can't even kill himself, right? <laughs> so therefore, Pumpkinhead's not dead either. Um, Pumpkinhead grabs Bunt. Another error there, Bunt. Mm. Ed is asking Stacy to kill him. She obliges him like a cold-hearted killer and shoots him three or four times. Like, why not just shoot him in the head once and be done with it? Why do you have to give him four body shots and let him bleed out? What if he shot me in the head? That's a risk we were willing to take. Mm. Uh, both of them dive. They dive. They die. Both of them <laughs> die. And Pumpkinhead burst into flames. We wrap up nicely. Uh, with Haggis bearing Ed's corpse in Pumpkinhead's grave. So now he's Pumpkin Ed, mm-hmm. and he's still wearing his son's necklace. Well, and that was the reveal, is it wasn't necessarily Ed's corpse until you saw the necklace. Right. That's the big... And I, I like that the legend is he who calls Pumpkinhead is doomed to become Pumpkinhead mm-hmm. at that point. Which is kind of cool, because that means the Pumpkinhead that was linked to Ed was the Pumpkinhead from Ed's youth. Well, not in Pumpkinhead, but the guy from Ed's youth that had called Pumpkinhead. Yeah. And then Ed is then Pumpkinhead in uh, Bloodwings. Right. Unless something didn't happen between. Who knows? Well. You know, I mean, Pumpkinhead might be busy. He might get called on every few days. Who knows? I mean, Vengeance? That, that, might, that, that might be why Batman the, called Pumpkinhead? Right. I was going to say, but that might be why the soil so loose. That could explain it. <laughs> okay. Fuck you, too. So, what if, what if Batman was Pumpkinhead? Because in the Batman, he's I'm vengeance. Mm-hmm. Oh. So was Pumpkinhead, son. So I didn't catch it, but one thing I read was that Pumpkinhead actually spoke in this movie. Where I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't it. see it either, but it was something that I read, and they said it was the only movie that he did. So I'm gonna have to go back through and watch it a little, uh, a little finer to pay attention. But apparently, supposedly he spoke. Huh. But uh, it was the fact that he played with his food or his kills he obviously didn't meet him the fact that he had human traits you mm-hmm. know it makes you wonder would he use batman's gadgets i mean he he definitely follows batman's no guns rule <laughs> <laughs> but he kills unlike batman i mean you gotta make it your own right yeah batman kills indirectly how many people fall from like 50 feet because of batman but i don't want to really get into my my frustrations with the the batman movie mythos feel like but i will say this i feel like there's a lot of hate for the ben affleck batman it's like he kills i'm like yeah so has every other interpretation of batman in the films mm. 
like everyone does. Michael Keaton put dynamite on a guy and throw him in the sewer and let him explode. Right. Okay. He could come back from that. <laughs> Christian Bale has a tank that ran over people and literally shot them with missiles. So, anyways, back to Pumpkinhead. So, I mean, that's the end of the flick, man. Um, I, it sucks that it took me this long to really sit down and watch the whole thing. I'm glad you did, though. You know, it, it, it was always one of my more favorable monster movies, especially being a monster kid. So, you know, it, it gives us something to talk about more. I mean, beyond this, like, you know, this is something that I want to find the sequels just to... I saw Blood Wings once. Like I said, I bought it off of eBay. I watched it once. It was awful, but I'd watch it again. But, uh, you know, this is something that, like, I'd love to sit down with you and actually, like, watch and digest together. Well, I mean, it immediately, like, it has immediately, honestly, jumped to, like, my top 10 favorite mm-hmm. horror movies. Um, just as it checks a lot of the boxes for me for the, the things that I really enjoy, especially about that era. Because, you know, I really enjoy, like, the 80s monster splatter movies mm-hmm. more than the modern stuff. Um you know, along with that, I enjoy, you know, the Italian horror, whether it's the gore, the giallos, more right. than, you know, I'll enjoy something like, uh, you know, The Conjuring or whatever. That's not a knock on The Conjuring, because I think The Conjuring is a pretty solid ghost story. Uh, ghost stories are actually one, one of the only genres of horror that actually creep me out. Mm. Um, but Pumpkinhead, I mean, if we're doing a 10 scale, I guess, maybe? Yeah, that's fine. Tens- I, would, I would give it a, probably an 8 out of 10. I was yeah, I was gonna give it an eight out of ten, you know, like seven or seven or eight, mainly because just a lot of the teenager stuff I feel is unnecessary in this pattern of the runtime. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You know, it again, we we said before, there's no such thing as a perfect film. I don't care what you say. There's always gonna be something that gets missed or continuity that gets missed. There's no such thing as a perfect film in terms of that. Imperfect of what you like, sure. And even if it only is an eight out of ten for me, it's still a great movie. It's still a fun movie. It's still a movie of its time that doesn't have pacing or, you know, uh, the issue is, is my wife's uh, six years younger than me. Sometimes showing her movies from when I was a kid versus what she's used to, mm-hmm. the way things were written and shot back then were slower and they're, they're slower burn. There's more buildup. And, you know, just that little age gap can actually cause like, a, well, this is kind of boring versus, you know, we, we talked about Candyman. Candyman is not something you're going to put on in the background. Pumpkinhead, I'd put on the background, I'd put it on the foreground, I'd watch it anytime. Yeah. You know. Which, you know, also is, you know, how it wound up on my, I don't need to watch this all the way through, because whenever it's on, I put it on, like, mm-hmm. it's on Fear Fest or whatever. Right. I'm like, oh, cool, and I'll just have it in the background. So it's like, I, I kind of know the movie, I just haven't sat and watched the movie mm-hmm. uh, until, you know, yesterday, which, you know, again, loved it, so glad I sat down and watched it. Um, Good. Eight out of ten for you, seven, eight out of ten for me, probably closer to an eight. Um, would definitely recommend. Um, some things to talk about here wrapping up. Well, you guys can see this on YouTube. We got a man-made monster cast t-shirt now. You can find those on uh tpublic.com, um, along with coffee mugs, uh, some some flag tapestry stuff, stickers and buttons. Yeah, I need to get one of the coffee mugs so I'm not pulling Dumbo out every time. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm kind of uh, attached to this. I'm a little skeleton hand mm-hmm. coffee mug, but I, I do want one of our monster cast ones. I also want to thank everybody for the support um, that we've received with the Candyman episode and the video. Um, you know, the views for the video in the short time that's been up, and while nothing to write home about, 
uh, I was not expecting as many of you to watch as you did. So I really appreciate that. I think I speak for Mark as well. We do this anyway when we used to hang out all the time. Yeah. The fact that we get to do this for you and hope that you find some entertainment in it just makes it even better. You know, like this is a fun pastime. The way our lives have gone, we don't get to do this as often as we used to. You know, this was Rob and I watching horror movies, drinking, being dumbasses. That was a regular thing, probably. Yeah, a couple times a week. Yeah. Now, with the way life's treated us and where we're at, what we're doing, you know, this gives us a means of revisiting what we used to do in, in a different way. And then we get to give it to all of you. And, you know, it's fun. I, I love it. And I want to keep this up. And I hope you guys are enjoying it just as much as we're enjoying doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, again, I'm, I got neck surgery coming up. So um, there will not be any downtime. This, this will post and air after uh, the next surgery, but we wanted to get it in the can beforehand. Um, beyond that, follow us. Uh, we're on Twitter at MM MonsterCast. We're on Instagram at Man-Made MonsterCast. Um, YouTube, Man-Made MonsterCast. Leave us a review, five stars. Um, like, subscribe, click the little bell icon. Anything on the way out there, Mr. Stank, Stankalicious? Not really. Um, you know, hopefully uh, we'll be back sooner than later so we can do some more. I'm hoping, wishing you the best, hoping everything works out. You know, obviously we'll be keeping in touch. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I'll, I'll text you at very least, uh, yeah. you know, because I'm going home that day. So I'm like, after this, I'm going home and watch horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think maybe maybe next episode, you know, don't hold me to this, guys. Um, we do something newer. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. Um, especially, like, if you guys follow us on uh, Instagram or, or Twitter, uh, mostly Instagram, you'll saw, see that sometimes I write little mini reviews. Um, Slapface is really good. It's Shutter exclusive. Um, really enjoyed that. And I, like I said, I watched Fried Berry, Fried Berry finally. A lot to unpack with that. I don't know yeah. if it's something that I'd want to maybe do here, but there's there's a lot of stuff on like Shutter mm-hmm. um, that I, I really think we should touch base on. I also yeah, watched right. The Cellar recently, by the way. Um, I've heard of it. Haven't seen. It's new. It's on Shutter. Uh, eh, give me your take on it. I, I have certain feelings about it. Okay. So, I'll try to watch but, uh, it. But on that note, everyone, we'll catch on the flip side.